Last week we started a new, a new preaching series on the prayer life of Paul. Today, our topic is a little bit more of an umbrella to that topic. It's a little bit bigger than that. But we're going to use it to try and approach how learn how we approach God. We're going to just use it as a backdrop to any kind of conversation about prayer. I believe it will be foundational for us as we consider prayer. Tell me something. What is one of the most common ways that we begin a prayer? What's the most the first thing we usually say? Dear Lord. Dear Lord. Okay, good. What else do we say? Thanks. Thanks. Okay, what else do we say? Our Father. Our Father. Yeah, good. What else? Anything else? Anyone else say something else? Father. Heavenly Father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I would say I find, don't you find that you nearly always say the same thing? I'm not sure why we're like that but we kind of do. For me, it is our Heavenly Father. I, I realize that's what I say nearly every time. Our Heavenly Father, thank you very much. I was thinking for the weather, too. I'm not sure why I do that either. So because we're going to have it whether I pray about it or not, you know. So, And, you know, it's interesting that that's how we started, but that's also, you know, the Lord, when he taught the disciples, he taught them to start our Father, right? And But Paul is interesting. Paul does not use that phrase, Paul, one time, Paul picks up this phrase in 2 Thessalonians. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and God our Father. That's the only time he uses that phrase, our Father. He often says, instead, he often will say, first I thank my God. My God, he talks about praying to my God a lot. There is one time, or no, several times where he does this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to find that in his prayers more than once. Uh, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's interesting. Referring to God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If he is Jesus' Father, how should we approach him? Story for you. In the summer of 1996, Betty and I had come to a place of pause in our desire to have children. When we were in seminary, we began wanting to have children. We began to work on that process. It wasn't happening. So we began advising with some fertility doctors. And then after four years, I'm not sure how long it was, maybe five years, with all the expenses and all the inconvenience, especially on Betty, and then all the uncertainty, we came to a place where we're like going, the Lord's not going to do this right now. The Lord's not going to allow us to conceive our own. So one day, Joe Care Kappa calls. I would like for you guys to come over. We want to talk to you. I just don't like getting phone calls from lawyers at all. <laughs> so we have no clue what's on Joe's mind. If you know Joe, it could be anything. We get there, and I just have this, this very, and I don't know if it's the right image, but in my mind, I still have this very clear image of being in his living room at the house he's in right now, and he says, you guys need to adopt. Here's a business card of an adoption lawyer. He's having a clinic on this night. You need to go and meet with him. And you need to go there. This is what you guys should do. Is that how it happened, Betty? That's what I remember. Joe, do you remember that? Oh, I figured he'd say something else. Okay, good. <laughs> I, was one my, I shouldn't have asked him if I want my story to be right. And so he says, you need to talk to Sam. We go and we talk to this guy. One thing leads to another, and boom. All of a sudden, we're, we're working on adopting a child. We are always, always grateful that you did that, that you and Pat sit down with us. 
and had that conversation. Where every attempt to conceive a child of our own was frustrated, our attempt to adopt was not. We had other friends who had been in the system for years and months and months and months wanting to be matched, and it wasn't happening. We submitted our profiles. We began the process in January of 1997. I distinctly remember another drive up on New Year's Eve to spend the holiday with Joe and Pat, and we were working on our profiles. And Betty cried all the way up there, and I understood her tears. I just didn't cry about it all the way up there, thinking no one would ever want to give us a child, you know. And we got in the process. January. By March, we were matched. March, maybe April. In May, we flew out to Illinois, and we met this young woman and her family, and we told her we'd been praying for her. And we'd been talking to her on the phone and all, but we got to meet her this time. And this was kind of like the will they like us meeting kind of thing. The last day we were there, we went to have lunch with her alone and gave her a Bible and said, we've been praying for you and we believe that what's in here is really important. And she goes, that's really cool because just a few weeks ago, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And we were so thrilled to hear that. August comes and so does Grant Harper Smith. Betty was in the delivery room and I was in the hallway. So about eight months and $20,000 and we have a son. Sounds pretty easy. <laughs> a wonderful son. We were just so incredibly in love with him from the very first moment we laid our eyes on him. And there's so many details about that trip to Illinois that are so, so vivid in my mind still. Fast forward a couple of years, we decided it's time to adopt another. We've been praying about it. And we just didn't have, we'd spent everything on that one. So what's left? <laughs> but we felt like that that was the time and we felt like that the Lord was leading us to move forward with it. We went ahead and we went through a different agency this time, and we really felt like it would take a lot longer this time. By the, and so like in the summer, we, this was in 2000, probably the winter-ish when we started this process, I believe. And sometime in the summer, I'm doing some work in Colorado for World Team. I'm traveling, and Betty Jo calls and says, hey, two things you need to know about. My dad's brother who died, his will, they probated it. We got $16,000. She said, 30 minutes later, the adoption agency called, and they matched us. God's timing, God's way. In the fall of that year, 2000, we had another son, Owen Robert Anson Smith. That's our family. That's a cute picture. That's not what they most look like. (laughs) I had another one, but I thought Grant wouldn't like it. If by some crazy, wicked, quirky way we had ever conceived a child of our own, that child would never be loved more than these two boys. While we, they have none of our blood, none of our genes, they have every ounce of our love and every beat of our heart is theirs. They call each other brother, not because they share a biological father, our similar gene pool because we adopted them and placed our name on them and them in our family. And that is why you and I call the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father. Not because He is our Father, but because 
His Father adopted us into His family. Jesus is the only Son of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only. Not the first one of many, not His favorite one, but His only one. He gave His only Son. Galatians 4 says this. I believe I have this up here. Galatians 4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoptions of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. In other words, because you are sons, God's spirit is in you, and you cry out, Daddy, to a man, to a God, to a father that you did not have. But because of Jesus... You do have. Galatians 3. A little bit earlier it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with him. And these are just a couple. There are other passages. Another one in Ephesians that speaks about adoption as well. Having been adopted through faith by God, we can now call him Father. Just like Jesus does. Did you notice in Galatians 4 that it says we are no longer slaves? Did you know or ever feel like you were a slave? Let me just pause right here and say that it's very possible that not everyone in this room has been adopted in the family of God. That's very possible. Because that happens when we acknowledge our need for a Savior and we find out that Christ is that Savior and we place our faith in Him saying that we understand that you died for us And he places that spirit in us. And we've come into his family. And now Christ is a brother and God is our father. That's what it means to come into that family. But did you know that he speaks to us as, he talks to us as we were slaves, he says. Scripture teaches that all of us have sinned. Matter of fact, Galatians 4.3 says that we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. We were slaves to our sin nature with no hope of ever overcoming it, with no hope of ever escaping the consequences of our sin. And the consequences of our sin is eternal separation from God. It means that we would face him as a judge who is not not afraid to condemn and punish those who have violated his law. Knowing that truth is why Jonathan Edwards could write a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. God is angry with our sin. God will judge all sin without flinching. And there'll be no fudging the laws. There'll be no appeal process. The Supreme Court can't write a different law. The Congress can't pass an appeal. There's no getting around his judgment. His judgment will be final. No political correctness. No way to change his mind. He is an impartial, he is an impartial righteous judge. The only one that has ever existed is him. But this same God who is an impartial, righteous judge, this same God has another aspect to his nature, which is perfect mercy, perfect compassion, and total love. And that mercy, compassion, and love compel him to make a way for you and I to escape his judgment by making a way for our our penalty to be paid by another. Romans 5.8 says... But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, God's only son, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death. Three days later, was rose from the grave. 
all to make a way for sinners like you and I to escape the condemnation and the punishment that our sins deserve. That's why in Romans 8.1, Paul says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is never going to be condemned. They won't go before a judge who's going to say, you're, you're to be punished. That just won't happen. Now, those who were condemned call God our Father and Jesus our brother. And we are heirs with him. And we have all coming to us that that Father has to give away. That right there is why we so often begin our prayers with the words, our Heavenly Father. Because he is. And because he's a good, good Father. Therefore, we come to him not as many of us have had to, coming to a Father with some type of fear or trepidation, or uncertainty, not knowing the mood that an earthly fallen father might have, we come to this father with absolute certainty that he loves us totally and completely. And even though I love my two sons with all I have, and as well as I know how to, I fail every day to love them the way their heavenly father does. But in this heavenly father, there is no failure. Luke 11, which is a passage that is often referred to and thought about when it talks about prayer. Christ is speaking to them and he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the point of this is that Jesus is saying that earthly parents, most of them, They are intent on not deceiving or hurting their kids. They want their very best for their kids. But how much more so is this true of God, our Heavenly Father? His best for us is beyond our wildest imaginations. And this family we've been adopted into is like no other. The Father sent His Son to die for people who hated Him. So adopting you and I was costly to him, more so than adopting these two or a hundred of them. It cost God more to adopt you and I. It cost God more to only adopt one of us. Because the only way that would have happened is for Christ to have died and made the provision for that to happen. But that's not all. We not only have the best dad ever, but we have the best brother ever. Because the brother paid the penalty for you and I and has never and will never, ever rub that in our faces. Will never, ever say, are you kidding me? After what I did for you, you're going to do this to me? Our brother will never treat us like a brother. That's basically what we're saying. The love and the compassion, the mercy that put him on the cross, held him on the cross, is the same love, compassion, and mercy that will not let him hold our sin and the penalty we owe against us. Now, this needs to be said because some of you are like going, this does not apply to me at all. I understand that. Because you're thinking, I have no idea what, a earthly fa- what any kind of good father is like. Some of you are saying, I have no idea what a father is like. And I understand that. There are many of us who have fathers in our families that were less than stellar. 
There are some who are tyrants. There's no compassion, no caring, never satisfied with you. There are some who are indulgent, buys the kids whatever they want. Recently, I had a, a, a mom of a college student tell the story about she went to move her student into the university and to, she was putting her stuff in the closet and there was a box of condoms. And she says, like, excuse me. And the kid said, my dad bought them for me. Just to be safe. Indulgent parents. Parents who are more friendly than they are parents. Absent parents. They're present, but they're not there. They're negligent of all that a parent should do and be. All of that stuff is real. And more of us than we would like to say probably can relate to one of those dads. I can. Mine was the last one. Present, but negligent. Not really there. Somewhat indulgent. One pastor has said this, which is so true. And I know it doesn't fully, it doesn't fully take away the pain of your parent. But it is true, nonetheless. In whatever areas your earthly father was good, God is that and much more. In whatever areas your earthly father was not good, God is not that at all. He is not that at all. The only way you'll ever know that, the only way you'll ever know that the heavenly father is not like the earthly father, the only way you'll know that is to try him and see is to go to him and say, who are you? What are you like? All I've ever known was this. And Tim and other people say you're different. Can you prove that to me? Can you show me how different you are? I need to know that. This is what I believe about our Heavenly Father. That if you go to him that way, he will prove himself to be that good, good father. He will prove that in no uncertain terms and will not disappoint you if you go and try him. We pray to our heavenly father because in him there's no fault. This father is eternal, all good, all loving, all wise, rich beyond your craziest dreams, forgiving, forgetting. He is all we've ever wanted in a father and more. And that's why we pray to him. That's why we can pray with, to him with confidence, with certainty, that his answers are the best answers for us. He'll say yes to us when it's good to us, for us. He'll say no to us when it's good for us. He'll say not now when we need to wait. And so when we look at Paul's prayer life, when we look at prayer in general, We need to think to, and it even goes to what Robert said in our prayer time. We need to be thinking about, who am I talking to? Why am I talking to them? What do I expect from this? Who's listening? And when we start out our prayers, and I'm not saying this is the right way, but when we start out our prayers and we say, our Heavenly Father, what we're saying is this. I'm speaking to a Father who is perfectly good, who is perfectly righteous, who has my very best interest in mind, who loves me more than I can imagine. That father, I need to talk to you now. Will you listen? That kind of father is 
always listening. That's why we can say he's a good, good father. That's why we can talk to him that way. Let's pray.